and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. All right, part two is upon us. Ooh, ooh, part two of the Binions, man. We're just getting started with this crazy family. Yeah, you know what's funny? My, I just I just remembered my buddy texted me this week, and he was trying to get me to give him part two, like we had already recorded it. He's like, come on, man. We're, we're buddies. I'm like, give me the scoop. I'm like, I ain't got it yet. I we haven't recorded it yet. It yet. <laughs> you can't have it before me. He's like, what good is it being friends with you? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though, because yeah. I mean, there's been times where we've done that, where we've recorded two parts in one recording session and then saved the second part, but this wasn't one of them. There was just too much crime line writing and studying for me to do in one week for that to happen, so I needed this week to get this part two done properly. I was about to say, this case will benefit, this overall two-parter will benefit from taking two weeks to study and write two separate timelines. I I think this is what this case needs. There's so much in here. It could be two completely different episodes that we did at different times. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, there's yeah. been plenty. I think there's been, uh, there's been like there's a CSI weird thing uh, like special on YouTube that I found that was done on Ted Binion. Yeah, and they barely bring up Benny. You know, it's just like a little, a little footnote at the beginning, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, I know. I watched that as well because I, I thought the same thing when I when you look up the Binions, Ted is the front runner because he was killed, right? Or well, yeah. you know, we'll see. Right? We'll, we'll see, see whether yeah. he was. Whether he committed suicide, either way, he died uh, in a very strange fashion, which we're going to go through today. But yeah, that kind of eclipses everything else that the Binions did, even though the rest of the family has had their share of uh, interesting interesting times in their life, especially Binion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so without giving too much of it away, let's, let's get into it. Part two, the Binions. This one is based around Ted Binion. All right, let's do it. Well, I don't know that I remember all of my day. But I remember most of it only because I've told the story so many times before. And I remember specifically getting up at a certain point and feeding the dogs and having a chat about life and heroin and his life in hopes of having a life without heroin. Ted Binion bought the black tar. Ted Binion got the Xanax tablets from his next door neighbor. So you've got that short period of time. Think, so Sandy Murphy and Tavish, you know, I'm not making them out to be imbeciles, but you know, they're not, uh, they're not medical people, they're not forensic scientists. They figure out, they conspire that gee, he got the uh, black tar and he got the Xanax. This is what we can do. In, in, in less than two days, they planned the whole thing. Think about that. Think about that. All right. So last week, we spent the episode, an hour and a half, talking about Benny Binion um, and his rise to... His rise to legendary status, you know, crazy ride we went on last week with the life of Benny Binion, but we didn't talk a whole lot about his children and his family, and mainly his his son Ted, who died in a fashion that was worthy of an episode in itself. No doubt. Um, no but doubt. first, we're going to dive through his, his children and where they're at, where they ended up. Right, it's um, only fair. The, the kids, aside from Ted, obviously, because right. we're going to spend the rest of the episode on Ted. Right, Ted's our favorite, but we're going to talk about some other kids, too. <laughs> we're, we're not their parents. We can have favorites, right? 
Ted's the golden child, right? Right. <laughs> at least for That'd crime. That'd be pretty sad. At least for true. crime podcast, it is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> a, heroin, a black tar heroin addict was the golden child. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. So Benny and Teddy Jane Binion had five children together. Um, in age and order, we got Barbara, Jack, Brenda, Lonnie, who, well, Lonnie was Ted. Lonnie right? is Ted. That was, that's right. He went by Ted. Yes. Um, and Becky. And Becky. But we will be calling Lonnie Ted because he's known as Ted Binion. So forget I, the whole Lonnie thing. It's crazy how they had him like, like girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. Just boom. Right. Like, a little, like little stepping stones. Like they planned that's that That's frustrating shit. as hell to those those uh, couples that keep trying to have kids because they want the other sex. Oh, I know. <laughs> they got like four girls <laughs> and they're like, damn it. We just Shout want Shout out to my son. cousin Brett because that's <laughs> they ended up with three boys because they kept trying. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Well, yeah. I mean, they, obviously they're happy with, of course, with everything. Of course. They love their, their boys. But, of course. Yeah, my my grandfather same way. My mom, she's got three sisters, and my mom ended up with a boy name. Uh, my parents, I mean, my grandparents named her Bobby because they wanted a boy so bad, and she was the youngest, and they still didn't get one. So they're like, ah, we're <laughs> just so gonna pretend up. like you're a boy. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> yeah, she don't go by that. Obviously, I think she yeah. always resented that. But it just goes to show, like, I, I don't think you should have any plans like that. As a as a no. parent, you know, you shouldn't put any any don't. preconceived notions no. of what your child don't is going to be until you all. know them, and then, and even when they're born, still don't be trying to have preconceived. You almost shouldn't even pick them. a name until they're after you've <laughs> had them for a little while. Yeah, wait till they're like in kindergarten, then name them. Be like, yeah, I think we'll name them. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's right. a terrible asshole. Idea. I think that's a good name. I think it's an, he's kind of a little five year old asshole right now. I think we'll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a bad way to name your uh, kids during the time that they're kids. And they don't have any idea of what they're doing or why they're doing it. They're just moving right. along with the world's influences. That's why I tell people mm-hmm. get all stressed out. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my son. Or I don't know what I'm going to do with my daughter. Because she's blah. I'm like, bro, chill out. She's 12. Just or a stage. He's 12. Like, it's just about growing. Like, you think your parents yeah. were totally satisfied where, where you were in life your whole childhood? No, man. Like stop trying to stop trying to put yourself on your child. That's what, that's what the real issue here is. Is you're worried about the yep. way that your child represents you personally yeah and it's a real selfish thing you know but uh it's it's only human nature too it's only human nature what's what's great though is when you have uh friends who have kids that are the same age and like they get it because they're doing with the same shit right right like we have the, we have a, a a couple um that we're friends with and they have ki- they have kids that are the same age you know like three years old four years like right around that age and like they eat every time we hang out. Their kid has a tantrum at one point. Our kid has a tantrum, and we just kind of look at each other like, "What are you gonna do?" <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's, just, it's what kids do. I mean, they're just learning. They're yeah. learning how to process. When they're three, their four years old, it's just everything is life or death. You That's know? right. They lose their toy for a minute, or another kid takes it. It's just the end of the world. That's right, man. It, and it's we've said it a million times on this show before. It's being a parent. It just makes you so empathetic. It makes you understand people and how they grew up and. <clears throat> how they act now as adults. It just makes you a more empathetic person because you realize that every human has to go through these learning experiences. Regardless of how good of a parent you think you are, your child still is going to have these these lapses where they act like a little animal because we are little animals. They are little animals. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just going right. to happen. It's going to happen. And people, I think, they put so much of their self-worth in that as parents that it becomes discouraging or they become embarrassed in front of other parents. And it shouldn't be that way. You really shouldn't. No. But anyways, let's get, let's get in with the Binions, man. This is not a parenting podcast. Apparently, we're in a bantery mood today. Mm-hmm. Apparently. 
Yeah, so let's get into the, the Binion children. Um, Barbara, the oldest daughter, the firstborn, was busted for running a small gang of robbers while her father was in Leavenworth for tax evasion in 1953. So remember, Benny, they when he was in Nevada, the yep. old Texas finally caught up with him and, and caught up with his taxes that he hadn't been paying, and they sent him to Leavenworth. Right. Where Meanwhile, he, you know, didn't get to wear his cowboy boots anymore, and he had to oh, he had to wear those tight ass and break rocks all day. Yeah, he had to wear those yeah. tight ass sneakers, man. He was not happy about yeah. those. They laced yeah, them too and tight. he was also not happy that the fact that while he was in in Leavenworth, his oldest daughter was out. Uh, she actually got busted for breaking and entering someone's home and robbing a home. While the person was there, they like tied the person up, um, and this was in Bakersfield, California, and she was apparently the ringleader. There was three of them, I believe, and uh, wow. it was her and two men, and she was the one who had the master plans to do all these robberies, and they actually found, they got caught because the car, the, the getaway car broke down, and so the police Damn caught it. up with them. <laughs> I know, classic you know mistake. You got to have a, a good run, and you need... You know, a well-made, reliable vehicle. Well, which is weird that Barbara didn't have one. She must have been just full of fucking piss and pride, and she was like, fuck you, Dad. I could do this shit on my own. I don't need your money or your good cars. Oh, wait. wait, I might need a car. I might need a car. (laughs) I mean, it could have been a nice car, and she just wasn't maintaining it, too. You never know. Oh, yeah. Hey, man, you got to check the oil in that bitch. It don't run on hopes and dreams. That's what my dad always said. Or it was one of her cohort's cars as well, one of the, the robbers that was with her. It could have been. It could have been. I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure she didn't want to use one of her dad's call, uh, cars and put more heat on him. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. They couldn't. Yeah. She couldn't use his fancy Cadillac. That's right. To that's do that right. job. Mm. Although, Although a lot a of lot. trunk space to yeah. fit all those goods. That's <laughs> about to say. Or could, bodies, if need be. Yeah, whatever. Whatever you're hauling, man. That Cadillac trunk yeah. will hold it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the car broke down. They were caught, and they, evidence found that Barbara was the ringleader of this group. And the group also, they found evidence intended to rob several more people in Nevada, like prominent figures in Nevada. Wow, they were they were planning to rob them. So I don't think her her dad would be very happy about that because I'm sure if some of those people were his connections, you know, that helped him. I was about to say the same thing. Need. Um, Benny wasn't the most morally straight person, but I don't think he would uh, he would condone going around and just robbing people. Just taking money yeah. from people. I, I don't think yeah, that was home robbery like that. Yeah, I don't think that was that was Benny's way. He was a little sneakier about his robbery. Yeah. That's why I think that that's why I think that Barbara and him maybe a butted heads. Maybe her being the oldest, maybe she was too much like him. Or maybe she was a lot yeah. like uh Teddy Jane. You know, she was a pretty strong willed woman as well. And maybe they butted heads and they kind of went off. It's cause cause mm-hmm. I just don't understand why she would need money so bad that she wants to rob people and put that even maybe she's just doing it for fun, kicks, a thrill. Yeah, that is a good point because all the kids, they, they you know, if they stayed in line and they stayed in their dad's good graces, they were set up quite well. Right. And we saw that with several of the other siblings, you know, taking over the casino and being quite rich. Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe Barbara and him just butted heads and she was like, I don't need you. And so she, yeah. she turned to a life of crime to get rich quick because she was trying to sustain a lifestyle that she was used to. She don't want to work. Yeah. I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah. So Barbara would go on to struggle with drug abuse and depression following uh, these incidents, and she would go on to have three sons as well. Um, however, at one point, she attempted suicide with a shotgun. This is just this is gruesome. This is yeah, this is tough. So she failed with a shotgun attempt, <clears throat> uh, suicide attempt, and the result blew off um, half of her jaw, and she would be dependent on pain meds uh, for obvious reasons um, for the rest of her life until 1983, when at the age of 49, she died of a drug overdose. Wow. So that's mm. a that's a rough go for your firstborn, you know. Yes it is. Yes it is. Oh my gosh. 
And so Benny's sons, Jack and Ted, they grew up around the industry, understood it, and helped establish one of their father's marketing ideas. I wonder if, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, we were talking about what, why did um, Barbara feel the need to go out and rob? I wonder if it had something to do with Benny not giving her the same chances that he gave his sons because he was old school. And because she boy was a and, woman. You know, he wanted his boys to take over the business. That's and right. He, you know, he wasn't going to teach his daughters the same thing. That Hey, that could have absolutely led to a fallout. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Because you hear That's about, point, you know, dude. how the sons learn the trade and this and that. You, you see that on, on all these different articles and you don't right. hear much about him. You do see that the youngest daughter ends up taking over um, the Binions, but that was when Benny was a lot older. I think maybe he had softened or... Mm-hmm. Times had changed. She had proven herself worthy of it. She had to go over the top to prove herself worthy, as opposed to the sons, where he was trying to give everything to them. Right, right. Or maybe she was just the only one left that had any common sense, and she'd just been there the whole time, like, "Hello, hello, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this." And he's like, "What about Ted? Uh, What about what about Jack? Uh, What about Brenda?" (laughs) Right. (laughs) She's like, "Hello, Dad." Exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was the baby. That's very you know? possible. It's the baby. It's 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 only. I think it's only human nature to kind of spoil your last one a little bit. It's like you. It's not that you don't think they're capable. It's just like you don't want them to get their hands dirty. You want them to need you. I think subconsciously yeah. as a parent, and you want to kind of be there to take care of them. That youngest mm-hmm. one. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off base, but that's just what I've noticed. Yeah. So Jack. Uh, um, Benny's uh, one of Benny's sons, the other one, became president of the Binion's Horseshoe in 1963 at age 26. Oof. He would uh, eventually sell his interest in the family casino to his youngest sister Becky in 1998. So he would he would be at the helm for quite a while, you yeah. know, like 30 years, 30 plus years. Um, while I mean, a lot of the time Benny was there as well through the 70s, 80s uh, as as that that staple figure right in the casino. But Jack was running a lot of it. Um, but then um, after selling, selling it off, the rights to it and uh, the interest to it in 1998 to his, to his younger sister, Becky, and the youngest child of the family, um, he then went on to open riverboat casinos outside Nevada, which he sold to Harrah's in 2006. And he became the chairman of Wynn International and helped open the Wynn uh, as well. So wow. he did quite well for himself. Jack, Jack uh, was a hard worker. Yes. Um, yeah, he was. Well, um, he's since retired, but remains a consultant, and he's quite old now. Obviously, everyone in his family is quite old now. Mm-hmm. Um, he remains a consultant with Wynn Resorts. Now, back to the daughters, Brenda, Binion and Michael, the classic middle kid, went her own way, and although she adored her father, she was much more enamored of the ranch than the casino. We didn't talk a lot. Actually, we didn't really talk at all in the first part about Benny's uh, massive ranch in Wyoming. Right. He has, was it Wyoming or Montana? It was Wyoming, right? Yeah, yeah. Then he have one. He had one in Nevada as well. Yeah, but he has. Um, <clears throat> the family has just like a. They have a few uh, ranches. I know he's very involved. Oh, in it's this Montana. Stuff. Yeah, it's Montana. I have it in the crime line here. They have a hundred thousand plus acre ranch in Montana that Benny spent all that audio clip you played in the intro for part one was actually yes. Benny talking about his. He was on his ranch in Montana. Yes, at that he time. Was. He was That's talking right. about how the winters were like Alaska and the summers were like the desert. Yep. Yep. He spent he spent a lot of time on that ranch when he wasn't in Vegas and his daughter that's where she wanted to be. She loved she loved um horses, she loved rodeo, she loved all that stuff and so she never really got involved in the casino business. Right. Um 
Yeah. So she's been involved with horses her whole life. And today at age 80, she lives on a ranch outside of Amarillo, Texas. And she was named the Tri-State Fair Cowgirl of the Year in 1998, received the Ken Stamler Pioneer Award from the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 2015. Her only daughter, Mindy, is married to saddle bronc rider Clint Johnson. So she stayed out of this Vegas, uh, Sin City lifestyle. There's always running one, casinos, and, right? and she did quite well for herself, um, just living a simple life on a ranch. Yeah. Well, she was probably, you know, these kids were exposed to the ranch just as much as they were the casinos, I'm sure, if they wanted, if they so wanted yeah. to. Oh, definitely. And Ted spent quite a bit of time on the ranch as well. Right. Exactly. And out of five kids, chances are one of them is going to love the horses and just yep. want to stick to that. And I think, I think Benny would have been more of a rancher if he had more contact with people and other ranchers and things like that. I think Benny was just such a people person. He wanted yeah. to be out. I think he, he wanted, mentioned in that clip, you know, yeah. was the interview said that uh, some people like animals more than people. He's like, well, I love people too. Yeah, he's like, no, no, I love I to like rip them off. <laughs> people <laughs> got a good more. source of income when <laughs> they're, they're dumb. <laughs> Dummies part with their money for me. That's what I was about to say. Well, horses they ain't really got a lot of cash on them, so ain't much you can do with them. <laughs> uh, but uh, people, they got money, so... Yeah. Right, it's time. It's hard to extort a, a horse for cash. Yeah, the horse they'll, they'll, they'll just be hard headed as hell. <laughs> One thing I do like is they don't talk to police. That's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. shit. Um. So Ted, we'll get to Ted now. Ted is the main reason we're doing a part two on the Binions, of course. Oh yeah, Ted's pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> yep. Um. I'm in the midst here, mid recording, because I forgot to look up uh who his birthday he shares with. If you want to look it up, All November twenty right. eighth. All right, go November twenty eighth, celebrity birthdays, because Ted Binion was born November twenty eighth, nineteen forty three. Um. Obviously, the the main reason we're doing this episode. Mm hmm. So let's see here. Let's see if I can fuck this up again, like I did last time, and leave out somebody really famous. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Trey songs. An R and B singer, Trey Songs. You may have, you may have heard of him, maybe not. Uh, but I've heard the name. I don't know. I'm not okay. aware. I'm not. Uh... Trey Songs was born November twentieth. Uh, Anna Nicole Smith <laughs> was born. Oh shit! Uh, Another junkie. Oh no. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> she oh, also no. loved heroin. I think. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's see. Uh, TikTok star. TikTok star. TikTok star. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, I'm just trying not to leave anybody out. Jarvis Landry. Jarvis juice. Landry. I love juice. There we go. Jarvis Landry. Underrated receiver. Yep. Uh, Man, I was bummed that the Browns blew that last week. They had they had everything fall in line for them. Mahomes got hurt. We're talking, we're doing this episode on Championship Sunday, so it's NFC and AFC championship games today. Yes. Last week the Browns had had the Chiefs right where they wanted them, and they just they they literally let a backup quarterback run for a 15 yard scramble on a third and 15 with the game on the line. Uh, and you know what? When you let that happen, you deserve to lose. That's so. right. That's right. Uh, dude, guess who is number 37 on this famous birthdays list? Number. Oh God, it's gonna be it's gonna piss me off because there's a bunch of YouTubers ahead. You're of You're gonna be very really, pissed. Who? It's John Stewart. Oh shit, John Stewart. John Stewart. And who's above him? Like some twelve-year-old uh, Vine star? Or, uh, not Vine. About Jesus, thirty-six. About thirty-six TikTok and YouTube stars. <laughs> there you go, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, no joke. And I and I would say them if I if I recognized any of them. Um, and I'm sure my kids would probably recognize a lot more of these. But but yeah, uh, John Stewart. So way down there, Trey Songs, Anna Nicole Smith. Let's pick those three. <laughs> All right, that works for me. Yeah. It's quite a crowd there. Oh, yeah. and Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry. 
All right. That's my favorite. Moving on then. All right, so Ted Ted Binion was uh he was very much a younger version of his father, Benny. Oh, very or he much. tried to be. Um Ted dressed like Benny. Uh he wore cowboy boots and a hat, a cowboy hat. He tucked his pistol in his jeans and drove a pickup truck with his dog Princess riding shotgun. Right on. In the summer he worked on the family's hundred acre ranch in Montana that we mentioned. Uh, he was wild and fearless and always ready for fun. He was instantly, instantly likable. So it sounds like he is basically, the apple didn't fall, fall far from the tree here. Yeah, very charismatic, very jolly, jolly The life figure. of the party when he walked yeah, in. Yeah, and plus, you know, being a millionaire helps as well. People yeah. are always happy to see you when you're a millionaire. I think to be a, to be a people person when you're rich, all you have to do is just smile. I think it's all you have to do. It's that easy. Right. <laughs> Smile, share share the wealth a little yeah, bit. Yeah, share spread the fun. a little money around, and people always say good things about you. Right. Um, it didn't hurt that uh, that smile was also. I mean, he was high most of the time. I think you know. Yeah, yeah. He never. He was the guy that liked to party, and being your dad, being Benny Binion, and owning the casino in Las Vegas through the '60s, '70s, '80s, like it's it's always going to be a party if you want it to be. Oh no you know, doubt, there, everything's there for you. That's right. This guy was raised in a party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was uh, also generous and loyal to a fault. Quote, Ted had a lot of strange friends with bad reputations, but Benny was the same way. If you were his friend, you were his friend. Um, he didn't care for a formal education either, just much like his father. Mm-hmm. Um, he instead educated himself with uh, American and Western history and had a passion that he could recite Civil War battles in a minute's detail. Quote, he was a cowboy, but probably the most worldly guy you've ever meet. So he did his own studying of, you know, history with right. uh, Western books and all kinds of things like that. That's smart. That's smart. To be, He'd probably to be, be good well at versed. trivia. He'd be good on Jeopardy or something like that, it sounds like. Yeah, I think if it was in his realm, if it was Civil War or yeah. Western history, yeah, I think he's going to nail it. Yeah. yeah. There are the, man, there's a lot of guys out there like that that are, like, they don't know a lot of topics, but they are obsessed with war history and they can just, stay, they can tell you everything about each war that happened. Yeah. Each, well, each little battle in each major war, every yeah. Civil War battle, the, the, Death totals and <laughs> oh, I know, yeah, the battles Everyone. won and lost, the generals in charge. See, like I, yeah. I feel like that's sometimes I feel like that's a fault of mine where I don't like to uh, gather a bunch of information in one thing. Like I like to consider myself a jack of all trades, so I, I like I get bored with one thing and I want to move on. Now the downside of that is that I don't learn things in detail enough to retain information for long periods of time. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's the downside of it. Whereas, mm-hmm. like someone like Ted, you know, he focused on certain things. Like I have, I have friends and cousins, you know, that are still interested in the same things now that they were interested in ten, fifteen years ago, and they're, yeah. you know, somewhat experts on that type of thing. But I just, I don't know if it's my attention span or what. I just get bored with learning about one type of thing, so I just want to keep cycling through different things, you know. Yeah. I try to be relatable to a, on a lot of different levels. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. We're getting there with mm. true crime, though. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I can't believe the, the knowledge. <laughs> this is the show's forcing you to stick to one topic, dude. It, it is. It is. You should and be thankful for it. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm surprised how often people bring stuff up in conversation about about crime or killers and stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, that was in the 70s. Yeah, that was in California. Yeah. And I'm like, oh it's wow. So much, how do you know I mean, that? so like, much of our society <laughs> and our culture and, and the world, uh, human human history is crime. You know. It is. So it's it's almost unavoidable. It's always going to come up in topic at some point. It is, and it's and you got to understand that the majority of people don't 
they're not involved in it. Well, at least hopefully they're not involved in it in some way. So it's kind of like this outside taboo culture that we have to defend ourselves against, but also we can't really join it to be a part of it to learn. You see what I'm saying? Whereas like yeah. most things, I'd be like, well, if you want to learn it, start doing it. But crime's not one of those things. <laughs> like, right. I don't feel like it's responsible uh, to give that advice. So, but yet it's still interesting as hell. So, yeah, here we are. It comes up uh, every every like six months when Netflix puts up a new series on a serial killer or something. And then like, you know, yeah. casual people that aren't always talking crime or anything, they'll be like, oh, I watched this thing on the Night Stalker, man. You should see. I'm like, I, I did an episode. Yeah. It was like three hours long on him four years ago. Yeah. I've been there, done that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Know. Studied a 19-hour audio book on, on Richard Ramirez. So I think, yeah. I think I'm good. I'm not sure there's a whole lot in that that I can... No, by. it is cool to, as a refresher though. I, I watched, uh, yeah. I watched a few episodes of it. I think I watched, actually, I think I watched about three and a half out of four of the episodes of the Night mm-hmm. Stalker. I think there's only four. Uh, I didn't catch the first one, and then I went in there, and my uh, my daughter and my wife were watching it, and so I was like, oh, well, let's just sit down, and see what's going on here, and it was it was kind of fun to reminisce and think about that kind of stuff. It doesn't. Uh, he's lost a lot of the luster, a lot of the. Uh, mm-hmm what's the word I'm looking for? Like the scary lore that was surrounding him when I first dove into that case, you know, four years ago. Uh, now, yeah. now I'm just like, huh, old Richard, what a silly <laughs> Old Richie. Yeah, old Richie with his... With your, with your pentagram on your palm. Yeah, with your... so original. <laughs> with your ACDC hat and your members only jacket. <laughs> oh gosh, you Richard. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's on the highway to hell now. Right? He is. Going full blast. Yep. <clears throat> so... Uh, back to Ted Binion. Right. From the time he was a teenager, so he's into he's into um, you know all this war history and stuff, and and also from the time he was a teenager, he collected antique and limited edition guns, rare and mint coins, old casino chips. Later, he he purchased uh, bars of silver and inherited his mother's coin collection. So he he loved silver. Uh, Nevada is the silver state. That's right. I feel like there's there's a lot more attention on silver here. I I collect silver myself, and mm-hmm. it seems like it's a pretty common thing here. I don't know how common it is everywhere else, but. Um, I think um, I think people are getting much more interested in precious metals in general. I, I think. Well, yeah, uh, me and you we have, don't know have where, spoke where about we're this headed with, with the dollar and inflation and all that stuff. That's so right. It's not it's not a terrible idea to collect a little bit of something that no. is a little safe from inflation. Exactly, exactly, and it's that is a safe bet. Precious metals has always been a safe bet, and I'm sure Ted knew this long long before we <laughs> long before people yeah. are starting to catch on to that now. Obviously, so but yeah. you know being in that world of money. You're more you're more inclined to be aware of those things. There's something cool too about rare coins when you just when you're holding it and you just think about. I have a few that are like from the 1800s. Yeah, and and you, you just hold it. And you think about the history. Like how many pockets has this coin been in? How many right. like experiences has this coin been on along for the ride with? You know, like right. Someone could have been killed in a car accident. In this because it sounds dark, but like this coin was in their pocket and then it went on to someone else and then. Who knows? You know, just it's Shit, crazy to hey. think you're holding this coin that's been so many places. You're talking about killed in a car accident. Shit, they could have been killed in a horse accident, bro. Like, yeah, 1800s. No doubt. Yeah, Wild West <laughs> shit. You ain't kidding, right? Cars yeah. weren't even around back Somebody, when this fucking coin was right? made. I mean, yeah, I think about the same thing. My dad is a big coin collector in precious metals, and he he shows me these coins that he's got, and they're just they're incredible. It's just how how old they are and how what kind of shape they're still in. He's like, check this out. Like yep. this is solid silver. It's like, oh my god! Mm-hmm. Imagine carrying a satchel full of these bad boys around. Yeah, he's like, God, hey, no wonder men were men back in the day. You had to be just to carry your fucking money around. <laughs> yeah, I have a uh, actually have a 
a Morgan dollar that's 1889 uh, Carson City mint, which is there's only there was only like I want to say there's only like 400,000 minted or something, some absurdly low number. Oh wow. And the coin is worth like $1,000. It's right now and if you can look you look at it over its history and it's like doubled in value almost every year. That's since, a, you know, for, for like the last 30 years or whatever. So it's just, I'm just going to hold on to it and someday give it to my kids. And how cool is it from that it's from Nevada too, right? That's dope. Yeah, the Carson City, any coins you have with a CC on it, the Carson City Mint, they're they're usually a lot more valuable and more rare. Because they just, that mint didn't stay open for that long and, and didn't print that many, didn't make that many coins. Ah, okay. I'm going to keep an eye out for so them. keep an eye out for those, yeah. If you yeah. see a CC where the mint mark is. Oh, yeah, good advice. All right. Okay. Enough on uh, nerd col- coin collections. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about my stamp collection now, Lauren. It's only fair. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so eventually his own collection of coins and silver grew to 24 tons and had to be stored in two vaults at the Horseshoe Casino until, until he was forced to move all that stuff out, at which point he had his own personal vault buried, which is a huge part of the oh, story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. More on that later. <clears throat> right. So Ted practically grew up in the casino, learning the trade as a preteen from his father. By the time he was 18, he was an old hand. Quote, then he told me that Ted was the best in the business. Um, he was also a junkie, having moved from pot to opium and LSD, and finally his drug of choice, black tar heroin. Oof. That's a, that's a dangerous game. game you're playing there, messing around with heroin like that. Yes, it is. Um, mm. Benny was devastated. He uh, he hated drugs more than anything in the world, but there was nothing he could do about it. Unfortunately, his son was too deep. Yeah. Um, and because Ted hated needles, he didn't inject the drug. He smoked it. So he was basically chasing the dragon. You know, right. Had, he had the foil, and you would light the put the heroin on top of the foil and burn it with a lighter underneath and inhale it. Yeah, I think Ted thought that chasing the dragon, inhaling the heroin that way was definitely the safest way as opposed to injecting it and possibly overdosing. He was he was quite smart about taking the drug, actually. Yeah, that's what... There was a lot of uh, people that... That was their reasoning behind why they didn't think he actually overdosed, because he was so experienced with drugs and knew what he was doing so much, which I think is kind of a flawed mentality. No matter how much experience you have with something like black tar heroin, when you're mixing that with other drugs as well, Xanax and things like that... I yeah. Mean, Things can go wrong, right? And you know, it's and it's, you're, you're, your body's not always in the same condition every day of your life. Like there's days where your your immune system's down, your your body's fighting something, and you don't even realize it. And you you take this cocktail of mixed drugs at that on that day, and maybe your your heart just slows down to the rate where it doesn't beat anymore. That's right. And also, it's never enough. It's never enough with drugs like that. Your right. body, your body. It just gains a tolerance, builds up a tolerance, and it just needs more and more. It just and it's just, as you know with. Yeah. Uh, Good old Mary Jane. Yeah, it's it's you have to take tolerance breaks, man. If you smoke consistently, you have to, or you'll just you'll mm-hmm. just buy more and more and more and more, and it just won't do anything. It's just the yeah. way it is, man. So, because Ted had more brains and moxie than the others, uh, according to his father, everyone assumed he was the obvious candidate to assume the command of the horseshoe when Benny died. To their surprise, however, Jack was more up to the tasks than Ted, and I think it was just because Jack worked harder and wanted it more. Ted was busy partying, enjoying drugs and whatnot. Yeah. And although he had that um, vibe that, you know, Benny had, where it's like people wanted to be around him and he was like a face of the place, Jack was the one that was really running things. Um, and Jack retained the policy that the gambler's first bet was his limit and used the marketing tool to catch, to, uh, to, to a catchphrase, a fair game and fair odds. That was, uh, 
Jack's baby, he came up with that, yeah. that little catchphrase. Um, and though Jack's personality was tamer and far more subdued than Benny's, he had his father's eye for an advantage and no one worked harder. Uh, yeah. The slippery slope of Ten Binion, Ted Binion's downfall began in 1987 when he was convicted of drug possession and his license was suspended. So he wasn't doing himself any favors as far as um, running the Binion, uh, Binion's casino because he was, he's now getting arrested, losing his license, and his brother's still busting his ass running the casino. So Right. And at this time, Ted was married and lived with his wife, Doris, and their daughter, Bonnie, in a fine home on Palomino Lane in Las Vegas. Um yeah, it's like a nice older neighborhood now. It's still still like a, a nice little neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, but there's like big bigger properties. Um and it was yeah, it was a very nice house. You can see uh footage of it all over YouTube and different documentaries and things like that. Right. Um he also owned a 60-acre ranch in Pahrump, Nevada, a small dusty town 50 while, 50 miles west of Las Vegas. I was actually just in Pahrump 2 weeks ago. Oh, really? What for? Um, my daughter had a follow-up appointment for uh, I don't know, a while back in October. She had to have a short stay in the hospital. She's oh. two. Oh, okay. And she had a, an infection, and it was like a scary – we made it through, but she still had to have like scans just to make sure she's good. And oh, wow. um, the place that we needed – there's a new medical center out there in Pahrump, and it was just uh, – just uh, the timing as far as when we could do the appointment was was better for that. And it's, like I said, it's 50 miles outside of Las Vegas, so it's yeah, it's like an hour drive or whatever. But Yep, you can take Blue it, Diamond it's, it's or a, 160 right out to Pahrump, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah been, it's an interesting place. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an alternative lifestyle to Las Vegas. If you work in town but you want more property and you want to, maybe you have horses or you just want space from people. Like yeah. a lot of people choose that prompt and then they make that drive every day, which has got to be brutal, like it, an hour drive from Vegas every day back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. I know. <laughs> you yeah. Are, well, you pretty yeah, much know yeah, what the that town is. you lived in in Sandy Valley was yeah. very similar. It's very similar. similar. Very similar. But, but in Sandy Valley, we didn't even have like a Walmart or, or grocery stores or, uh, gas stations or none of that shit. I mean, at least Pahrump yeah, has, Pahrump that has stuff. all that. Pahrump yeah. even has little casinos and things. Yeah, Pahrump is like a tiny Vegas, whereas Sandy Valley was just a just a town, like a big neighborhood that was very yeah. spread out. <laughs> I mean, that's right. it. That's it. So I could definitely see living in Pahrump if you if you wanted a small town feel, but you still like the conveniences of a small town. That's yeah. That's one of the best options near Las Vegas. It's just not a very pretty place. I'll just say that. Yeah, it's not the prettiest. Not to shit all over prompt, but it's just man. There's like no trees. There's it's yeah. just a it's a dust bowl, man. Like tumbleweeds should be like they're on their flag for their city. Like, <laughs> it's a desert town. Yeah, well, it takes money, man, to bring that green to the desert. You know, you know how it is. Yeah. So Ted kept large amounts of cash and other value valuables at his home and at his ranch. And he sometimes buried his treasure, which he thought was the only sure way to protect it. So this has led to a lot of people getting in trouble for being on his properties long after he's gone, trying to dig up this treasure that they think he still has buried. Oh, you know, there's so locations. there's so many like hints and stuff out there. People, people, are like, oh, yeah. oh, I think I know where it is. I've been looking at the property forever. I know where it is. There's a hump. There's a hump in the left yeah. quadrant of the yard. <laughs> like, there's always yeah. people. That's that's the number one thing when you talk about people burying treasure. Like, oh, there's there was like this weird hump. It's like, do you think they would leave a weird ass hump if they were burying something that valuable? I wouldn't leave. Well, the shit. the the one that we're going to talk about, the vault that he buried, he did kind of make it in plain sight on purpose because he wanted to know if anybody, 
He basically put it right on the main strip of Pahrump. Yeah, We'll get but, to it in a minute. Yeah, but he's burying a vault, something that you have to get into once you're down there. True. I'm talking True. about like if you're just burying treasure in your yard that once you dig it up, it's yours. You can take it. That shit is not going to be obvious. I just right. don't think. I think the gardener's putting fresh grass back over that hole the next day. Like I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's right. going to be an obvious lump in the yard. Yeah. Well, just me. So as we talked about briefly, Ted's main addiction was heroin. But it wasn't his only demon. He also had a weakness for booze, showgirls, and strippers. Oh, no shit. In 1990, (laughs) well, he liked to party, and uh, that's a party all right there. Bro, he grew up in Vegas. What'd you expect this poor kid to like, you know? Come on. Yeah. This kid grew up in a casino. He was was an old hand by the time he was 18. Right. Telling you, kids can learn so fast. All the money and power in the world that he had. Yeah. Yeah, just having his last name, he was a presence. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1990, the FBI charged him and seven other Horseshoe employees with beating and robbing players suspected of cheating at blackjack, and the charges exposed an ugly side of the family business as well. Each of the supposed cheats was black. Federal prosecutors mishandled the case, so it never went to trial, but Ted again lost his license temporarily, and I can't can't deny that there was a lot of that in the book that we, we used for Benny Binion. Yeah. Um, that there was there was definitely uh, a racist vibe around the Binion's Horseshoe Casino as okay. far as you know the people that they chose to bust and and a lot of times they may have not even stolen but they accused them of stealing would beat them up things like that so yeah I, I kind of got that vibe when I was looking at pictures and stuff at the casino I'm like why are they all white people but I just trick I just like chopped it up to the time. I just was like, yeah, well, it was you also, know, I mean, a lot shit. of those early pictures, the Binions that, you're talking in the 60s, yeah. you know, 50s, 60s. Exactly. They would have black performers, but they weren't, those black performers weren't even allowed to stay at the casino. After they were done with their performance, they'd have to leave, you know? Wow. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, different time, man. <clears throat> so he got it back, his license in 1993, but lost it again the following year. The second suspension was for 18 months, but the Nevada Gaming Commission later continued it in, uh, indefinitely. And the problem was no longer merely drugs. It was Ted's continued association with mafiosa. So he also was well known for, you know, keeping company with, with uh, mafia bosses and, mm-hmm. and doing their bidding in Vegas. The commission uncovered evidence that he had made $100,000 in loans to Kansas City and Chicago mobsters. Um, and th- this had gone on for a long time. Um, and he ended up parting ways with his mob connection finally in 1996, a guy named Fat Herb, <laughs> when the board added the mobster to its famous black book of ind- undesirables, but the damage was already done. So his main connection be- got written off by the mob, and he was, of course, shortly after they're killed. Um, a few weeks later, Fat Herb was assassinated in his home by a hitman hired by L.A. mob bosses as part of their move to take over the rackets. Word on the street was that Ted was also targeted, and sure enough, within a few days, someone had shot at his home, um, mm. a drive-by shooting. Yeah, so. but they didn't get him, though. They didn't get anybody on that attempt, did they? No. I don't think anybody was injured. Fat Herb, though. What a great name. I'd like to come... Right. Like, if I ever buy into the marijuana industry, that's going to be the name. I was going to say, Fat yeah, Herb right. marijuana. <laughs> Fat Herb pre-rolls, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Fat Herb cannabis. That's right. Sell, like, hotcakes. Fat right. Herb. I love that. Yeah. Um, so it seemed... You know, this is sad. that The party had kind of run out. Mm-hmm. He'd been doing... The, Ted had been in the business for 30 years now, 30-plus years. He'd had so many good times, met so many people... 
and lived it up. But at a certain point, you got to pay the piper. You know, like when that's you right. live like that for a long enough period, it kind of gets ugly at the end. And that's what's going on. Like he's lo- he keeps losing his license. Yeah. Um, he's now lost his mob connection. And now he has to fear for his life that they're going to come after him. Right. Um, not only that, like he's losing his stake in the in the family business as well by his actions. Yes. And so things are getting kind of ugly. And he can't, on top of all this, he's unable to run from this due to certain check-ins that he has to have with Vegas police, right? Exactly. Yep. So it's not like he can just dip out and run away with all his money. He can't even do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, here, exactly. So Vegas police officers advised Claiborne to get Ted out of town, but a condition of Ted's suspension required him to submit to three urine tests a week yeah, and be available for other random tests. And that was if he wanted to get his, you know, his license back. That's right. He had to submit to all these urine tests. And of course, I mean, he's still a drug addict at this time. Man. So. He was probably getting pee from everybody. Like a gardener. Right. The house cleaner lady. His girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Whew. I had a, actually back when I was a teenager, I had a buddy who who loved weed. Mm-hmm. And he, I think, I want to say he got in some trouble and he had like a, a a parole drug test thing he had to do. Yeah. Um, and he like begged me for pee. So like he had me pee in a condom and he tied the tied a knot and like taped it to his leg to keep it warm. I think it worked. <laughs> like it actually yeah. worked. Yeah. That shit but it was gross, you know? He's like yeah. taping my pee to his leg in a condom. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> weed, man. It's a hell of a drug. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> All this for a little weed. Uh, <laughs> Got dudes taping condoms to their leg. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so, um, there's easier ways of doing that now. You can get some synthetic urine from, like, about any head shop you walk into. Yeah, just, uh, yep, they got those. Yeah. Guys, those, don't uh, don't tape your friend's pee to your leg anymore. You don't have to do that shit. You can, yeah, just go into a, a smoke shop. They yeah. got the, the quick number fix. one pisser, I think it's called. Yeah, quick fix and all that stuff. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a very vulnerable period in Ted Binion's life. He was practically a prisoner in his own home, having to submit to these drug tests. Uh, the gaming authorities were threatening to take away his license permanently, Plus, him, him and his wife had separated. Doris had lived so many years with his addiction, and she was worn out. She was, he was no longer a husband, a lover, or a companion. So they, they'd, his wife and his daughter were leaving him. And yeah. at this point, though, Ted, he was like at rock bottom, and it was fine with him because then he had a new companion that he had met, and that's where the story really takes off. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, just, he's diving deeper into the, the party world now. Um, now that his wife's left him, and he meets a topless dancer half his name his age named Sandy Murphy. Sandy Murphy was the daughter of a repo man. She had been a teen pageant princess in the small Los Angeles suburb of Bellflower, but had dropped out of high school when she met Ted at a Cheeto strip club in 1995. And if you listen to her testimony about this time, she just went on this harmless trip to Vegas with her friends. She had never been, and uh, she brought along like ten grand. I was like, what is she? This I know, girl right? had to. Her, how does she have just ten grand to go? She's young. She was very young, right? And she takes, she goes to Vegas for a trip, and she brings ten grand, and she blows it within a few days <laughs> in the casinos gambling. <laughs> apparently, right? Classic story, right? Yeah, classic story. This is how uh, then decide- some of those strip clubs get their 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 uh, workers. Yeah, I was they, just about to say, and then you just get a job to pay it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you gonna do when you're a young, pretty girl? Yeah. Right. It's an easy way to make some quick money, for sure. They'll find something for you to do. That's for sure. Yeah. So at the end of the evening, um, so Ted Ted met her at Cheetah Strip Club in 1995. This mm-hmm. and her story, like I said, she'd gone on vacation. She'd burned her ten grand, and she 
she says that her and her friend needed money, so they they sold they were selling some lingerie to cheetahs. She wasn't working there, according to her. Right. She went in there to sell some of her lingerie to cheetahs, which I don't think they're they're not really like a secondhand uh, lingerie <laughs> no purchasing so? organization. They. Why do they need to buy that? Why do they right. need lingerie? It, I don't understand. It's it. clearly a lie. She was she was working there as a stripper. It's like, man, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But she clearly nothing. is ashamed of it because she won't admit to it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's weird though. That is a, that's yeah. a weird alibi. I just don't. I just imagine walking in there with like a suitcase. Like they're probably all excited seeing her walk in. You know, a young pretty girl. Like, oh shit. Okay, here we go. And then she's like, "You guys want to buy some of my lingerie? What? No. All right. We no. This is a topless. What the." <laughs> it's like that that's the that the, the uh the owner of the place is saying that and then there's meanwhile there's some creepo dudes in the background like i'll buy them yeah i'll buy them hey wait i'll buy them <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point i didn't think about that yeah. <laughs> she, she can make good money on that shit on ebay now or you right. know or our only fan site or something sell that shit right who knows yeah so so i mean the common narrative is that she was working there as a stripper when she met ted she swears that she would just happen to be in there selling some lingerie she meets ted binion and by the end of the evening he had slipped her a couple thousand bucks but she threw it back in his face she's not like the others he could to his friends Ooh. so she was just playing the long game though yeah. she knows she's doing this, yeah. this woman is a compulsive liar whether you believe she killed ted or not she i couldn't stand her she reminded me quite a bit of jody arias actually in interviews yes she played this this harmless person but you just know she's and you know I, there's too much evidence pointing to her being snaky you know like she was clearly get, got with ted for the money she was 30 years younger than him not right. that that you can't love somebody 30 years older than you but i mean it's we know where this is going well, and so did uh, ted's sisters right right and in regards to the documentary and her testimony on there it's it's very hard to take her serious because it's like she's had so much plastic surgery and her face shows no yeah. ex no emotion anymore it's like she's trying to cry <laughs> and you're like oh god what are you doing like stop you're going to yeah. you're going to like have a stroke or something like just relax <laughs> so it makes her very yeah. hard to it made it made me really hard to empathize with her. At least I couldn't empathize with her at all because I couldn't see any. Yeah, real and her stories just her. don't add up either. She, you can just tell she's lying all the time. Yeah, yeah, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, um, it, shortly after Doris moved out of the Palomino Lane house, Ted's uh, Ted's now ex-wife, Sandy moved in and into a lifestyle of high limit credit cards. Her monthly bill averaged fifty one hundred dollars with expensive jewelry, European vacations, all paid for by Ted. And before long, she was taking over his life. First, she remodeled the house, replacing Doris's bedroom furniture with a handmade set she ordered from Italy, ripping out the carpet and replacing it with marble. She then began handling his banking transactions, monitoring phone calls, and nagging him to put her in his will. Mm. Never a good sign when you meet someone right away and they're already trying to get on your will. Seriously. You got to earn that. You know, you got to put in some time. You don't just like meet someone and within a month, they, you know, have them put you in their will. Right, right. Oof. That's a that's a red flag oh. right there. But again, old Ted didn't give a shit. Yeah. And um, other people overheard her calling Ted old and ugly and openly admitting that she was just sticking around for the money. So that didn't bode well either. Yeah. Not, not there was just favorite. so many character witnesses, so many people around this time that said that she was openly blatant about how she was just in it for the money with Ted and couldn't wait for him to die, basically. Yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Because you know there were people constantly coming to her going like, why are you with him? Why are you with him? If he, you know, Because he also yeah. was abusive to her as well, right? Yeah, so you had, yeah. You he had slapped her around regularly. Yeah. 
um, which she appeared to accept as part of the deal. Apparently, she uh, referred to the beatings as my punishment, and but he always made it up to her financially. For one particularly expensive recon- reconciliation, he bought her a ninety-seven thousand dollar Mercedes. Shit, he could hit me for that, bro. I'll take it. Dude, in the nineties, <laughs> a ninety-seven thousand dollar car—that's ins- that must have been like the highest end Mercedes they had. Oh, no doubt. He's driving that A class. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So around this time, Ted met another person, and this would, oh, this is when it really spirals out of control. Ted is in a bathroom at a strip club mm-hmm. and meets a man. They're at the, he's at a urinal, and he meets meets a man uh, named Rick Tabish, um, who was a 33-year-old hustler who had come to Vegas in 1997 looking for some easy money, leaving his wife, two children, and some large debts back in Missoula, Montana. Oh. Missoula. Missoula. We've done a Missoula case. The We've Missoula done a Missoula Mahler. serial killer. The Missoula Mauler. Yep. Yep. What is That's it? one of my favorite cases. Wayne Nance. Wayne Nance. Good old Wayne. Yep. Wayne Nance. Interesting town, Missoula. Got some uh, some real characters coming out of that place, huh? Yeah, really. Doesn't seem like a very big town, and you got Rick Tabish and Wayne Nance coming out of there. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it What's is. What's going on in Missoula? I don't know. People looking to make it big out of there. Right. <clears throat> you imagine sparking up a relationship with a dude at a urinal, though? It was all planned, bro. He, it's he, it's all part of my my goal at a urinal to just not even be aware of no the other people at the urinal. I'm staring at the wall, yeah. minding my business, and and getting my Dude, pee out. You could come up beside me at a urinal, and I wouldn't even know it was you until I'm done. And then I would look right. over there, and be like, oh hey, Lauren, what's when up? we're washing our hands, yeah, maybe. Yeah, and maybe. now washing your hands afterwards, yeah, I could see That's maybe fine. hey, what's going on? How you doing? That's right. That's right. But don't talk to me while I'm trying to take a piss. Just just don't talk to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's how their relationship began, and um, though his father was a wealthy businessman, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Tabish was kind of a loser. He had failed at every legitimate venture he'd ever attempted, and it was part of because he, he wanted it all. You know, he, he, was, he wanted to be rich, and he didn't care how he got there, it that's seemed. Right. That's right. Um, and he was also much younger and better looking than Ted Binion, which became a problem for Ted later. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Because Sandy... Sandy uh, liked the the liked the looks of a, a young Rick Tabish a little more than an old Ted Binion. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Rick's a little yeah. closer to her age <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Tabish was soon allegedly confiding in his friends that he was sleeping with Binion's girlfriend, Ted Binion. Yep. Uh, was, he was sleeping with Sandy, and he was using her, uh, her to advance his plan to steal the bulk of Ted's fortune, including tons of silver and rare coins stored in the vaults at the horseshoe. So I don't know what it was. What do you think it was about Rick Tabish that Ted Binion was interested in, or I, it, was it Rick Tabish that saw in Ted? Do you think he was around, got a sense that Ted was a powerful guy, and kind of made it happen when it, you know, made it so that they were in the bathroom at the same time and struck um, up a conversation with Ted and played to his ego? I, that's the vibe I get yes. is that Rick made this happen, and maybe even, maybe even Rick already met Sandy before this encounter. Possibly, yes. Maybe because Sandy's out on her own, doing her own thing, man. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the day, that her and Ted are mm-hmm. not spending the day, the day together. Like, let's not be ignorant about this shit. So right. she has plenty of time on her own. I think she already ran into Rick and said, hey, look, uh, Ted frequents this strip club. If you go there, you will find him. And then he thought, and he probably went in, he saw him, and was like, well, when he goes to the bathroom, that's when I'll go. Yeah. And I'll go and make my contact with him. And that's how you yep. meet someone at a urinal, in quotes. Mm-hmm. That shit's planned. Yeah, it's not a coincidence, right? No, 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 no. And, and also, coincidentally, he has this trucking company – or like excavation, 
mm-hmm. company type of thing. How convenient. Uh, where he has access to tractors and large dump trucks and things like that. And that is also something that Teddy at the moment could use because he's now having to get his silver out of the Binion's Horseshoe Casino due to him losing his license and whatnot. He needs somewhere to put thousands of pounds of silver, literally thousands of pounds. Right. And good old uh, Rick happens to have an excavation company where he can bury a vault. And mm-hmm. so they, they go into a little deal there. Um, in April of 1998, the Gaming Commission per- permanently revoked Ted's license, ordering him to sell his 20% stake in the horseshoe. His ties to the casino were f- forever severed, and he had to move his collection of coins and ign- ingots. How do you pronounce that again? I, I should know because I'm into... Ingots. Ingots, that's right. Yeah. Silver ingots. With like sil- little silver bars or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so he had to move this collection of all of his valuables out of the casino um, Sandy, Rick, and some drivers for the MRT volunteered to help, and the stash was temporarily moved in, into Ted's garage while they figured out another plan. So he meets this guy at a urinal, Rick Tabish, and almost immediately entrusts him with, with moving and relocating millions of dollars worth of silver right into a garage, first of all, at just a home, which is super dangerous because, you know, like there's not, it's not the highest security location. No, no. Especially not for that much money. Yeah. If you collect valuables, guys, you can always get a safety security box at a, at a bank. Much safer way to store things like <laughs> coins and whatnot. Right. Which is what I do. But if you have 24 uh, tons of it, to be far, it's kind of hard to put it in a bank, I guess. Yeah, that's a big safety de- security box. Yes, it, yes, it is. It might cost you quite just a, a monthly w- payment word, there. <laughs> word of advice, if you meet a sketchy guy at a urinal, don't entrust them with <laughs> helping you relocate your thousands and pounds of silver and millions of dollars. Now, that's just good advice. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ted uh, contracted with Rick to build a permanent storage site for his treasure, a 10-foot square concrete vault on a lot he owned in Pahrump. That lot he owned in Pahrump, that was going to be the location where Rick Tabish would dig a big hole and bury this concrete box to put all of this silver in. And it was going to be right on the main drag, as I said. So, on July 4th, 1998, Rick and his crew moved the treasure from Ted's garage and sealed it in the vault. By Ted's design, the vault was in plain sight between a Burger King and Terrible's Town Casino on the main highway connecting Pahrump to Las Vegas. I think I filled up with gas at that Terrible's Casino a <laughs> couple weeks ago. Probably. It's still there. Terrible's has a huge stake in, in uh, oh, Southern gosh. Nevada and, yes, and Las do. Vegas and the surrounding areas. They have, there's gas stations and little mini casinos all over the place. Yeah, and if you've been on the 15 between uh, Vegas and, Cal- and L.A., uh, in California, yep, there's, there's huge, that huge one right, right there near the border. It's like the biggest. Yeah, I used to go there and get snacks ever. and stuff when I would go record at your place in Sandy Valley. Yes, all the time. I, I was a I was a regular at that station because that was all I had going home. That was like the yeah. only thing on my way to the house, and it was basically a big old store. I mean, it was huge. The biggest. It's yeah. the biggest. I think it's the biggest Chevron in the U.S. If I'm not mistaken. Oh shit. Yeah, I think it is because it has like a white has a white castle in it. It has like a a huge alcohol oh, yeah. section. It has a candy section. It has an advanced auto parts in there. Uh, it has a Jack Link's beef jerky section. Yes. Like, not just like one little rack. No, it's no, like no, an no, entire no. section of the place, like yes. a little mini store yes. for just Jack Link's jerky with like t-shirts and all kinds oh, of shit. Oh my God, bizarre. yes. Every section has merch and shirts and yeah, whether it's, it's Vegas just, related or the company that's the store, whatever, it's there's just so much. It's like a there. white trash mini mall. I don't it, know. It's bizarre. Y- you wouldn't believe it. Like my kids loved it too. We we loved it. Oh, it's cool. There. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You definitely need to check it out though. If you're going on the 15 north or south between Nevada and California, stop off at that Terribles. You can't miss it. You can't miss yeah, it. Yeah, it's a huge place. It's like the size of a damn Walmart. Yeah, it is. It's huge. 
Yeah, so Ted, he had this vault buried in Pahrump in plain sight on the main drag where he was certain that if intruders tried to get into it, they would be spotted by someone. Um, and so just days after the treasure was sealed, he revised his will again. Um, though the bulk of his approximately $30 million estate was to go to his daughter, he deleted the names of an old of old friends and bequeathed to Sandy 300000 his home and all of its contents. So he puts Sandy into his will as she'd been requesting. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. Um, I think three hundred thousand and his home. Damn, like that's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good leaping. I mean, it's not going to set you up for the rest of your life, but that's a good starting pad. I mean, damn. Yeah. You know, he, she can't expect yeah, to get that I, money that should go to his daughter. I mean, the bulk of it should go to his daughter. Oh, hundred percent. No, I'm almost saying this is too much to give to Sandy, having just not known her that long. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, in my opinion, yes. But I mean, I don't. If I was her, I'd be like, yeah, this is pretty good. <laughs> And it wouldn't be long before he would change his mind, uh, according to his financial, to his lawyer. Right, right. Um, So to make sure the new will was valid, Sandy and her own lawyer looked it over, and she informed friends that she was also the beneficiary of Ted's $1 million life insurance policy. Mm. Oh, that's never good. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not Curiously, by the time Ted made made this change, he and Sandy slept in separate bedrooms, and she admitted to several people, including Ted's gardener, that gardener was interviewed in the. Did you watch that documentary where the gar- yes. the gardener was kind of funny? Yeah, he was. This guy's got all kinds of theories. He's just like the guy mowing the lawn, but he's watching everything, he's talking like, to everybody. <laughs> you got it's like, bro, else just to fucking trim the trees there. and like shut up. <laughs> no, bro, you know you're looking around when you're working over there. You know it, <laughs> right? You know it. Yeah. Um. So she's telling everybody, including the gardener, that his drug habit made him unable to perform in the bedroom. And she was quoted as saying, I'm 26 and I need sex. She confessed to the gardener. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder if he, if he offered up his services at that point. Right? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I got some free time. You know, I'm, I'm done with these hedges. Yeah. I can, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Sandy also bothered, uh, barely bothered hiding her affair with Rick. So at this time she was, as Rick had been bragging about, she was hooking up with Rick Tabish. Yeah. Um, she bought him expensive gifts at Neiman Marcus using Ted's credit card and flew with him to Los Angeles where they registered as husband and wife at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Wow. Living it up. So they weren't married, but they were going around acting like they were. Mm-hmm. Um, even with all of this going on, Ted seemed upbeat, though. It was mid-September 1998, and he talked to his attorneys about trying to get uh, back his gambling license and to a real estate broker about buying several properties for potential casinos. So he was still looking at a future in the casino business. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, he's trying to he's trying to get back on top here. He has no yeah. no plans of tapping out. No. He also talked to a journalist about writing a book and a movie script based on the life of his famous father, which we wish there was. Uh, I more, wish. You know, more out there. A, a movie made about Benny Benny would be great. I hope a movie comes out. I was out thinking Scorsese him. would be the one. You know, I talk, I know we yeah. talked about uh, Tarantino and yeah. stuff, but Scorsese did Casino. I agree. He seems to understand the mob history and all that, and he would do a great job. Absolutely. Tarantino's Absolutely. version might be a little over the top, but it would also be great. <laughs> but it wouldn't be nearly as factual. Uh, I was about to say, both be great in their own right, but Scorsese would be more factual. That scene where Benny beat all those dudes with that uh, bumper, that would be pretty epic oh in a Tarantino. Oh, my God. With the Tarantino spin on it. Guys would be getting decapitated oh, and stuff. Oh, shit. That'd be the bloodiest damn bumper fight scene in... I got called out, by the way, on Podbean in, in the comments section for saying that uh, Benny beat off a bunch of guys, <laughs> and they just kept coming. Somebody called me out. <laughs> out of context. You get X-rated here, sorry. Out of context, yeah. 
when I listened back, I was like, damn it. I did say that. Somebody's going to say something about that one. <laughs> damn, I should write erotica. I mean, I meant yeah, to right? say that. <laughs> if you want me to uh, read your, if, you, if you're a, a, an erotic um, author, you write like erotic novels and stuff, and you want yeah. me to vo- voice them for audible.com, I will do that for the right price. Oh, yeah, of course. And you can have this sultry voice. Oh, dude, I would listen to it. <laughs> oh no <laughs> I don't want you listening to it Michael that's oh. just weird okay well I won't listen to it wink alright <clears throat> good enough <laughs> so yeah so he t- he's talking to journalists about writing a book and a, and a movie having a movie made about his father and he writes a one million dollar check to open a new investment account and donated 40,000 to a uh, Las Vegas mayor Jan-, Jan Jones campaign for governor mm. so he's got all these futures future plans he's not uh he's certainly not someone who's willingly about to overdose in in a suicidal fashion um because i'm saying this because you know he's he's shortly after this dies um and by this point ted had guessed that sandy was having an affair with rick he told friends that he was planning to get rid of the bitch quote and unloaded his guns explaining his to his maid that he was afraid sandy might kill him hmm and this is shortly after adding her to the will and putting her as the beneficiary of a million dollar life insurance policy. So yeah, that's you can yeah. see where that's going. Yeah. On September 16th, Ted called his lawyer and instructed him to take Sandy out of the will if she doesn't kill me tonight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this God. is according to his lawyer, and this was later disputed in court. You know, it was brought as evidence in a trial that takes place, right. and it will talk more about that. But this is right. this is the word of his lawyer, and there's no evidence to prove that this phone call and this conversation actually happened and of course ted's lawyer would be on his side of things so oh of course this may or may not have actually happened we'll talk more about that but yeah supposedly at this time according to his lawyer on september 16th he had called and asked him to take her out of the will later that day on september 16th speaking to a ranch hand who was visiting his home ted pointed to sandy and rick seated in the next room and said they got me the best shit i've had in a long time the ranch hand assumed that his boss meant heroin and so supposedly mm-hmm. Sandy and Rick had gotten him heroin, which I think was out of the norm because Ted, I believe, normally got his heroin from his neighbor. Right. Um, got it for himself. Why would Sandy be going and getting that for him? And why the hell would Rick be getting it for him? Because they you know, need, that's, they that's need odd him high that and incapacitated. That's why they get exactly. it for him. Exactly. And they would, you know, who knows what kind of heroin they got him or what, that's right. what the deal was with it. You don't know what it's cut with, what they cut it with. You don't fucking know. You know, it's this bizarre, like the different uh, versions of stories you get here because he's he's telling the maid she might shoot me and then he's like, oh, they got me great heroin though. It's like, <laughs> bro, well, you're afraid your girlfriend's going to kill you, uh, but yet you're like accepting drugs from her at the same time. Uh, it's a little weird. Yeah, bro. He forgot about that. Once he got high on that heroin, he was like, what yeah. was I doing earlier? Ah, whatever. This is yeah. some good shit right here that got me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, later that evening, Ted's regular dealer delivered 12 balloons of black tar heroin, and Ted tipped him with 30 tablets of Xanax uh, of, of Xanax tabs from a bottle yeah. that he had just had refilled earlier that day. Right, because he has the Xanax because that's supposed to get him off heroin. Because, you know, one, opi- mm-hmm. one opioid to the other. That's how we like to do things here in America. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's why he had that. And obviously that Xanax shit wasn't doing the trick. So he's like, I'll just tip him with this Xanax, get rid of my Xanax. So it looks like I'm taking it and get, and get black tar heroin and make my dealer, make me a priority for the good stuff. I see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. Yeah. The next day on September 17th, 1998 at 3 54 PM, 
Sandy dialed 911 and reported in a hysterical voice, my husband has stopped breathing. And she's, there's audio of it out there and she's freaking out and uh, definitely hysterical would be the right way. Mm -hmm. However, we've seen that before. Oh yeah. We have studied oh, the Menendez yeah. brothers. We've studied cases <laughs> where someone calls the police yes. in a hysterical state acting as though they just found someone dead and they had nothing to do with it. That's right. Um, That's right. Authorities found Ted's body on a mattress on the floor of his den, partly covered with a sleeping bag. Beside him was an empty bottle of Xanax, and in the bathroom were some narcotics paraphernalia, including a knife and some pieces of foil, those uh, Ted used when he smoked heroin. Um, so it's kind of bizarre that he's found in the den on a, like on the floor with a sleeping bag. Like I, I get that him and Sandy were, weren't really sleeping in the same room and they weren't on good terms. Right, but he don't have other rooms with beds. Like, come on, man. right? This is some bullshit. Yeah, dude, he's got a huge million dollar estate. Like, it's not. Why is it that it's every not like time he didn't have places like a couch or a bed, like a spare bedroom, something like you said? Right. It just always seems like anytime somebody famous or with money dies of an overdose, it's like they're always in like this dilapidated place. It's like, what the fuck happened? Like, why Drugs, are man. why are they on the floor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess so. But this one just I can understand him being though. on the floor, but not like on the floor, like sleepover style with like a on a mattress. Bag and a it's like, why did you bring a mattress in here? You took this mattress off of something. You took this off a of bed, and then you brought it all the way in here, and you laid it in the floor right. of your multi-million dollar home, and then you're gonna right. lay in here and inject. Why is that better? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It just it know. screams foul play to me. This whole the whole setup. Police at the time, though, initially the police that responded uh, disagree with that. Oh, really? They suggested that there was no evidence to suggest self, uh, foul play. Well, they know best. Um, yeah. Um, of course, uh, the Binion's family, the Binion family would disagree largely with the police's initial findings, <laughs> and they would hire their own private investigator, and we'll get into that. But shortly after they find Ted Binion dead, um, on the early mornings of the early morning of Saturday, September nineteenth, two days after Ted's death, while you know. Things are still being investigated. There's still an autopsy to perform, all that. Sheriff's deputies in Pahrump spot Rick Tabish and two other men using a backhoe to break into Ted's vault these, that they had buried. <laughs> these motherfuckers ain't wasting no time. They like, wasted no, no time. time. <laughs> well, they knew that the family would either knew yeah, or yeah. would know, would find out that, that all that was there. They had to get it out quick before the family, the Binion family, could get to it. I guess so, but man, but the spot, the spot played, uh, played a big role. Yeah. It made it so difficult. So difficult. Yeah, Ted's Ted's plan of putting it in plain sight actually that got was brilliant. Got maybe the guy that killed him caught, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All of the silver except a single dollar, single silver dollar had already been loaded into a tractor trailer. What kind of asshole? They leave one silver dollar. That's like a fuck you to whoever finds the vault next, you know. Right. I, they probably just like dropped it or something. Or no, maybe they did do that on purpose. Maybe they were like, yeah. yeah. I picture Rick Tabbage leaving that one silver dollar for the Binion siblings yeah, when just, they go in there. He just flicks it onto the floor. Like, here we go. Yeah. We didn't take all of it. Yeah, <laughs> take your crumb, you rats. Yeah. That's how, that's how my kids do when I tell them, like, hey, don't eat that whole bag of chips. They're like, I didn't. Right. Open it up. There's like one chip in there. There's one like, chip left. <laughs> Smart ass. That's why kids. I named you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I waited until I knew you was an asshole to name you. Not sure. Right. That's the day I named my son <laughs> when he left that one potato chip in the bag. Right. <laughs> so um, Rick, when after being busted trying to get into the vault, uh, well, man, it sounds like they were just about done. They had all the silver loaded up and everything. That sucks for Rick, huh? Yeah, it does. Just about to pull off and the, and the police show up. Yeah, he, well, he um, took the extra time to be an asshole and throw that extra piece of silver in there. If he had just yeah, dipped right. out, he probably would have made it. Right. 
Um, he tried to convince the deputies that this was merely uh, him following Ted's instructions to sell the silver and set up a trust fund for his daughter, Bonnie, yeah. in case of his sudden demise. Sounds of legit. Course, yeah. You know? Oh, you, oh, yeah. y'all, oh, y'all ain't buying it? Oh, you're not buying it? No. Okay. No. Oh. Yeah. So when that didn't fly and the police weren't buying, he made a crude attempt at bribery, claiming oh. that Ted's Ted's will bequeathed two hundred fifty thousand dollars to the sheriff. And you know you can just take it in silver right now if you want. You know, right. we can just make that happen, and then you look the other way, and we're all good. And you just throw it in the back of your cruiser, and your cruiser will be doing a wheelie down the street. Yeah. Yeah. We're all good. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> those deputies weren't interested. They took uh, Rick Tabish to jail and charged him with theft. Two days later, Sandy bailed out her lover, pledging her Mercedes-Benz 500 SL convertible and five mm. pieces of jewelry as collateral. Wow. So, wow. Rick and Sandy on the move again. That's right. Um, and they're clear. They're busy clearing out Ted's house at this time of all the valuables there. An autopsy and toxicology report revealed that he died of a combination of Xanax and heroin with traces of Valium. His body, however, had a small red circle in the center of his chest and a rashy abrasion on his upper lip, mm. which... Very weird. Very suspicious very weird. to me. Yeah. Yeah. More we'll, on that. Yeah, we'll get in into some explanations on that very soon. Yeah. Um, the case, however, was closed and ruled a drug overdose. And as we mentioned, the Binion family was not satisfied. They believed Ted was murdered. They never liked Sandy. They, you know, his sister in particular, um, she, one of his sisters, really thought Sandy was in it to do this all along. She, she was quoted as saying, like, why would you be with someone... Like Ted, you know, 50-year-old, 50-something-year-old drug addict. Yeah. And, uh, when you're a 20-something-year-old girl with your whole life ahead of you, you know, uh, unless you were in it for the money. Yeah. And she was caught saying things like she was in it for the money so many times by other people as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that doesn't play well. doesn't play well to no. Sandy's side. But you know what? If you're a guy and you're, and you're really worried that your girlfriend or your significant other might not be good for you, ask your sister. Ask your sister. <laughs> yeah. Because your sister will, will hold no punches, bro. Sisters right. will hold no punches. And, and yeah. no, and no, they're not always right, but God damn, women can see through other women's bullshit better than mm-hmm. any man can. My wife has taught me so much about like intentions of people. She's like, oh yeah, she's doing that because blah, blah, blah. I'm like, holy shit, you're right. That makes perfect sense. You know, <laughs> yeah. I just don't think about it because I'm like a person who, when I feel a certain way, I just tell people, you know, I, I, I I'm just... I feel like it's easier right. that way. Transparent. And it, yeah, and it helps me. It helps me get by with my life. I don't like just wondering what someone's thinking if we have an issue. Like I need to I need to voice that shit. But Exactly. Uh not everybody's like that. Especially women. <clears throat> women can be a little more snarky, I think, in that aspect. And other women are keen to that shit. They know. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're not you're not fooling other women. Women. <laughs> 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 you know what yeah. I mean. I don't know. I'm talking yeah, out yeah. my ass. I'm out of tea. <sighs> Whatever. So nobody who knew Ted bought the cops' theory, though. Um, a friend named Tony Cook and former casino manager at the Horseshoe who had known him since high school said Ted loved life way too much to kill himself. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the police's theory, to be fair. They said that he overdosed. They didn't say it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, also, though, his sister Becky said that he had such a knowledge of drugs and was such an active user that he wouldn't accidentally overdose. Also, I think it's flawed yeah. because when you're messing around with black tar heroin, you're mixing it with Xanax and other things. This is this can happen. Yeah, it it's can happen to many people. It can happen. Yeah, it could happen to anybody. I don't necessarily believe that for that reason. Yeah. Um, but there were several suspicious things about the scene, starting with the fact that nobody had ever known Ted to sleep on the floor, much less on a sleeping bag. 
The bruises and cuts in the position of the body suggested that it had been moved after death as well. The autopsy revealed that the nose, his nose was like smushed. Mm-hmm. And it, it, to the point where he was face down for so long that like rigor mortis set in. Yeah. As his nose was smushed against the carpet. So that's why his nose made, it stayed kind of sideways like that. Uh, but they, but that being said, he was found face up. But when you find a loved one, uh, let's just give it Sandy some uh, benefit of the doubt here. I don't know if she admitted to flipping him over or not, but that only makes sense if you find your boyfriend or your loved one face down and you know they're a drug addict, like to roll them over and then you discover them dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's one. You know, so it makes sense that he would be face up, if you, even if he was face down when he died. Right, right. That's one explanation, but we'll, we'll talk about yeah. more for sure. Yeah. Um, there were traces of heroin on the knife blade. There was no trace of the drug on the pieces of foil, though. The autopsy revealed no heroin in Ted's lungs, but high concentrations of both heroin and Xanax in his stomach. Who eats heroin? This alone. Yeah, and he, we know he had been smoking it. Yeah. You know, so it should be in his lungs. And it, there, it, they did talk to a, a, a medical examiner who said that it's possible for heroin to get into your stomach even if you're smoking it. But it seems bizarre what? that there was more in his stomach than in his lungs. Yeah. That's very strange. Um, well, here's the thing. And there was, the autopsy revealed no heroin in his lungs. None. Right. So, that's odd. That's extremely odd. It's extremely odd. I mean, he only used one method to smoke, and all the stuff that he used to smoke was there. So why didn't he smoke it? And how did it get in his body? That just that, that exactly. right there just spells everything out for me. Nobody eats ter- heroin. Like that doesn't right. make any sense. So while the police did little or nothing, the estate, the Binions, they would hire a private investigator because they were not convinced that this was, you know, a regular overdose. They hired former Las Vegas homicide detective Tom Dillard. Dillard would turn up quite a bit of stuff. He turned up a trail of cell phone conversations and secret meetings between Rick, Tabish, and Sandy, um, as well as evidence that they had told people about their plot to kill Ted. Damning. And they would, yeah, this this, uh, former detective would pull up a lot of stuff and he would help them reopen the case as a homicide. In December, three months after Ted's death, a chief deputy district attorney for Clark County, David Rogers, impaneled a grand jury as to tool to continue to investigate that Dillard, what Dillard had started, the private investigator. Over the next three months, Rogers called dozens of witnesses and gathered volumes of information. In March of that year, Las Vegas coroner changed his, the Las Vegas coroner that had done the initial autopsy, changed his findings to homicide with the push of the police and their investigation. In June, the same day Sandy expected an appeals court to validate her take from Ted's will, she and Rick were arrested instead and charged with the murder and conspiracy to commit murder and or robbery of Ted mm. Binion. So this thing is going to trial now. They thought they were free and clear. They were going to collect their money. Right. And they got arrested instead. And that's because this private investigator opened up, uh, that was paid by the Binion family, found so much stuff that pointed to their guilt Dude. that they were able to just uh, accumulate this stuff. And we'll go through some of the evidence another, that they had found against Rick and Sandy. Yep. Another PI saves the day, man. It's always worth a second opinion yeah. on these things. Yep. It really is. Yep. So there was the phone call that Ted had made to his lawyer on September 16th, the night before his death, instructing him to take Sandy out of the will. There was that that didn't look good. Now, as we mentioned, that was according to his lawyer and his, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, so that that's on, that's a guy that's on Ted's side. And so you, you can only put so much clout into that because that phone call was not recorded. We don't have any evidence other than the lawyer saying that. Okay. So, 
but there's much more. In the days just before Ted's death, Rick and Sandy each spread word that Ted's drug habit was worse and one, and and said that one of these days he would kill himself with an overdose. They were they were overheard by several witnesses saying this. Sandy was allegedly drinking a lot, behaving as if she were high on cocaine in the days prior as well. Several employees at the Neiman Marcus Beauty Salon overheard her rambling on about getting $3 million and the house when Ted died of an overdose of heroin. So she's quite the Nostradamus here. Mm-hmm. You know, she's predicting what's going to happen soon. Yeah, it's amazing. And then it happens. And it's am- Makes you wonder. And it's amazing how she's complaining about Ted's drug addiction to everybody, and then she's buying him heroin. That's crazy. Yeah, that, no doubt. That's crazy, too. That's a, that's a weird, little, weird little tidbit there. Yep. yep. Uh, they found that three days before Ted's death, Sandy and Rick again shacked up in Beverly Hills together. There was also the fact that Ted's autopsy report proved that he had been dead for approximately four hours by the time Sandy called 911. And the gardener said that he knows she was there at the house um, that whole day, or at least throughout the, the portion from the time that dead, Ted died mm-hmm. to 4 p.m., when she called police, he was there in, in that time frame and said that she was there. And he also witnessed some weird things, mm. which we'll get into. Okay. Um, records, phone records would also prove that Rick Tabish had called Sandy seven minutes before she made the 911 call. So she's having a phone conversation with Rick while her husband's lying dead on the floor. I wonder how long that, or that her, not her husband, her boyfriend. I wonder how long um, that call lasted. Did, do you know? Uh, I didn't see the the length of the phone call. Yeah, I couldn't find it either. But if it was, was short, I mean, both of them look suspicious, right? If it's ten seconds, it looks really suspicious. If it's thirty minutes, it looks. Really, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but if it's thirty <laughs> minutes while your husband's laying on the floor dead, yeah, that's a big. But if it's deal. ten seconds, I'm like, okay. What I'm imagining the phone call going like, okay, the fucker's dead. Let's do this. Like that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, or or ten seconds though could be. Uh, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. She could be like, hey, I, I can't talk right now. I just found him on the floor dead. Like I gotta go. All right, yeah, I'll call you back. Bye. True. You know what I'm saying? True. It could be that as well. Yeah. That's why I think. But the long phone call, if it was a long phone call, even if it was five minutes, I feel like five minutes is an eternity when you have a dead loved one on the floor. Yeah, See or what I'm saying? maybe dying. You're not 100% sure. Right, right, right. Yeah. But she would have been sure because, as we mentioned, four hours he had been dead, according to the autopsy, by the time she called. So he would have been dead. Right. Like, he would have been obvious. He would have been blue, stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, so police also got interesting notes from Ted's cleaning lady and of course the gardener. Of course the gardener. Um, the day of Ted's, the day of Ted's death was a day that his cleaning lady was supposed to come. However, that morning, the cleaning lady received a call from Sandy telling her that Ted wasn't feeling well that day and that she shouldn't come. Hmm. That doesn't look good. That does not look good at all. When he dies hours later. Yes. Um, Sandy must have forgotten also that the gardener was coming that day. Um, and he told police that when he arrived, he noticed several things that didn't make sense. This is a guy that frequented Ted Binion's home yeah. to, you know, maintain the yard and, and whatnot. And he was, he'd been doing it for years and he knew Ted quite well. And so there were some things that he'd seen that day that he'd never noticed before at the house. Like Sandy's car, uh, was parked on the side of the house, which he'd never seen before. She was always either in the garage or in the circular driveway every time he'd ever come. Right. Um, also the blinds in the backyard, uh, the window facing the backyard were, were closed. He had never once seen them closed and he'd actually talked to Ted about this and Ted preferred that they always be open so that when he walked from his bedroom to the living room, he could see the backyard and see if anyone or anything was strange was going on back there. Right. They were closed on this day. Um, also something very bizarre. There was a chair underneath the back window in the backyard, which had never been there before and appeared to be there by someone using it to gain entry into the home. It was right underneath a window, mm-hmm. 
which made made uh, investigators later like wonder: Did Ted kick Sandy out that day, and she went in through a back window to get in with Rick Tabish, where they then committed this crime? Right. Yeah. Or maybe um, they put the chair there as a well. If it was ruled a murder, they could be like, well, someone else was here. There was a chair. Someone could have broke in mm-hmm. right here. It's like. Eh. Yeah, but uh, they they tested the prints on the window, yeah. and it was Sandy's prints. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> we got you, bitch. God, so much for that Why theory. Why are you going through the window? Oh my god! I was hoping it was going to be Rick's, because then it would just be like game over, you know? Oh yeah, it was like he wasn't even supposed to be there, right? Yeah, especially going through a fucking window, you know? Right. But I guess Sandy could have opened the window or just checked the window to see. Yeah, if and it then was let locked. him in through the front door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after re-examining the scene of Ted Binion, investigators also believe that there was evidence that his body had been moved. As we mentioned, his nose had been smushed, leading them to believe he'd been face down for a while prior to be moved to his back. Also, within a day, Ted's house had been cleared out of all of its valuables. Looked like it had been ransacked, basically. Um, Sandy and Rick Tavish had gone through the home and picked it apart. Oh, yeah. Rare coins, silver, stashed uh, in closets, pant pockets, and even in the engine compartment of a boat stored in his garage were all gone, according to the Binion family. Wow. He was hiding fucking silver everywhere, yeah, wasn't he? he? Was. In, the, in the engine compartment of a boat, right? he's hiding silver. Well, you don't put all you don't put all your eggs in one basket, man. Especially not when you got that many eggs. You gotta spread that shit out. Yeah, it's a lot of eggs. Yeah, it's like an Easter egg hunt, huh? Yeah. For silver silver ingots That's right. at his property. That's right. Um, in June of 1999, Sandy Murphy and Rick Tabish were arrested for Binion's murder, as well as conspiracy, robbery, and grand larceny, as we had mentioned. And that was when they were. she was thinking she was going to get her payout. Instead, she was arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and a year and a half after Ted's death, the trial would begin. And, of course, it received heavy media, uh, media attention. Sandy hired a well-known mob boss, which just added to the lore, <laughs> uh, a guy named John Momet, who actually played himself in the movie Casino. He was a well-known attorney for mob bosses. This right. guy that she hires. Right. Um, and the outcome of this high-profile trial ultimately would hinge on how jur- jurors believed, whether they believed uh, Ted Binion died of a suicide by over- drug overdose or whether he was smothered to death after being forced to ingest heroin and Xanax by his live-in girlfriend and her cash-strapped secret lover. Mm. So during a 13-day preliminary hearing in September of 1999, Chief Deputy District Attorney David Roger revealed a new theory to explain Binion's death. He said that he was suffocated. And this district attorney, David Roger, um, he brought in a a doctor, Dr. Michael Baden, who had also testified at the well-publicized OJ trial. Um, He brought in this this New York pathologist to prove this theory that he was suffocated. Baden testified that he believed that the levels of heroin and Xanax in Binya's system were not enough to kill him, as the local medical examiner had concluded. And so, yeah, if if it's in his stomach and not in his lungs and he's a... I mean, he's a guy with a high tolerance, too. He does heroin every day. And right. if, it's, if, if they're concluding that it wasn't enough to kill a normal person, someone who has a tolerance, it seems. Baden, who had conducted uh, 40,000 autopsies in his 40-year career, said that congestion under Binion's eyelids and abrasions on his chest and back indicated that he was suffocated in a 19th-century method called burking. This occurs when someone sits on the victim's chest while covering his mouth and nose, Prosecutors built their circumstantial evidence around this testimony. So they're basing their whole case around very, very rare and bizarre way of killing someone, but also you would think effective if someone's a drug addict and an older guy and you got a young man who can easily hold down this guy. Not only that, also effective, uh, and it matches. It matches the marks on the chest. It matches the smushed nose and the abrasion on the upper lip where someone was forcing their hand on someone's face. 
You know what I mean? For, exactly. For, and you mentioned the the red dot on the chest. Yeah. I was thinking like, how what would cause that? And they explained it. If if you did this, mm-hmm. um, this burking, if you if you sat on his chest and smothered him, mm-hmm. the, he was wearing a button up shirt at the time, there and a go. button would make a perfect red dot if you were if it was being pressured into someone's chest like that. Perfect. And also, if you look at the pictures, um, there is another lighter abrasion either above or below that. I can't remember right now, but it looks to be the spacing of buttons on a shirt. I swear to God it yeah. does. Like, yeah. this is a really good, this is a really good guess theory. here. Very, very good theory, yes. Educated hypothesis. Yep. Because this right yep. here makes a lot of sense. It really does. It really does. Man. And so the defense, of course, would call upon their own pathologist with a national reputation, oh, Pittsburgh Cyril White, who took the stand to contradict the prosecution's chief medical witness, calling on 43 years of experience. So he's Whoa, got three he's years. He's got three more theirs. years. Watch out now. Yeah. He disputed Baden's findings point by point. He testified that the ruptured blood vessels under Binion's eyelids were linear in fashion, not circular, which meant Binion was not suffocated. Mm. He said that discolorations around the victim's mouth and nose were not a result of being smothered to death, but more likely caused by shaving. Yeah, right. <laughs> Has the guy never shaved before? Right. He's fucking 50-something years old. Like, you, dude, fuck. if you see the, the like, his lips were, his upper lip was really fucked up. Yeah. It's not from shaving. No, it's not from shaving. This And this man was always clean shaven, so that means he shaved probably on a daily basis or every other day. So don't tell me yeah, he and, fucking messed up his fuck, his upper lip. Come on. And supposedly the marks on his chest possibly occurred while uh, during attempts to revive him. Oh, As we mentioned, yeah. Sandy called at 4.30 p.m. He'd been dead since approximately noon. He was cold and hard, and, and rigor mortis was already setting in by the time she found him. And there was no... They were not doing attempts to save him. They knew, like, when the paramedics arrived, they knew he was dead. Yep. And honestly, if there if there's a red dot from a button on his shirt from trying to quote unquote revive him, they the first thing they do when they try to do CPR on someone is they rip their shirt open. First They're not going to be pushing on the buttons no, on sir. his shirt. No sir. They're going to rip that damn shirt open and then maybe even put uh what is it I what is it the uh the electrical oh yeah the AED or something like that AED yeah y'all know what I'm talking about but probably yeah. even putting those on you know if he's not responsive. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. So, you, you but they would have gotten there, and they would have seen that there was no breathing, that he was right. cold to the touch, that he was hard, like he he was dead. Exactly. Exactly. I guess they're trying. I guess this guy was trying to say that maybe Sandy tried to revive him, or maybe the gardener or somebody. I don't know. I mean, nobody nobody ever claimed that they tried to revive him, so I don't understand how this how this right. holds up in court. How this theory holds like, water. Well, who was the person trying to revive him? Please come forward. You don't remember? Yes. Like this is a very right. important moment in your life. This doesn't make any sense yep. to me. So during her murder trial, Sandy would claim that when she left the mansion, she shared with her boyfriend Binion on the morning of September 18th, 1998, she was sleeping off a, he was sleeping off a heroin-induced stupor. Upon returning, she found him dead on the floor, distraught. She called 911. So that's her story. She, I didn't I didn't get the info on where she was that day, probably hanging out with old uh, Rick. Oh yeah. Who knows? Probably moving silver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, during the six-week murder trial, more than 100 witnesses testified, and a dizzying array of physical evidence was presented. Reporters swarmed the courtroom, passing every bizarre turn of the trial on e- uh, to an eager public. The Binion family had even offered generous rewards for information leading to a conviction. Among the, the prosecutor's witnesses was called to the stand was a longtime friend of Rick Tabish. This did not play well for Sandy and Rick. Mm-mm. This longtime friend of Rick um, from Montana a former army ranger, so he's got some clout, you know, he's in the military. A guy named Kurt Gratzer testified against his old buddy Rick and said that prior to Ted's death, 
He had, Rick had called him and told him of his plan to kill this Ted Binion and steal his money, jewelry, and silver and his home, and the treasure was buried in a vault as well um, in Pahrump. Gratzer said that Rick promised to give him part of the insurance money and a new car if he would make a hit. So he asked, apparently asked this army ranger to kill Ted Binion. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick adv- advanced several plans. First, he suggested that Gratzer use a sniper rifle an alternate, an alternate scheme had him doing it with one of Ted's antique guns, then rolling the body in a carpet and disposing it, disposing of it in a rock crusher. Wow. <laughs> of course, because he, he has this excavation business. That's right. Yeah. Um, when Gratzer nixed these schemes, Rick suggested that they force him to swallow a lethal combination of heroin and Xanax, a prescription drug that Ted took him to help break his heroin habit. Mm-hmm. Pretty close to what happened, yeah. uh, coincidentally there. Real close. Um, Gratzer uh, said that he telephoned another friend, a Montana pharmacist, and asked him to research the amount of Xanax needed for such an overdose. Like Gratzer, the pharmacist later told his story to the Clark County prosecutors. (laughs) What kind of question is that? So so even the pharmacist testifies as well. So this is all connecting. And Gratzer, I mean, he's putting himself out there and basically admitting that he was considering killing Ted on the stand in a murder trial, he's sitting there going like, you know, I thought about it. I called around and made some calls to see what it would take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it is. It Which really kind of gives him more clout to me. It's like, you know, he was admitting that he was at least considering doing it. Yep, yep. <clears throat> jurors, uh, so, so they, they would hear all this evidence. The jurors would hear, you know, 100 witnesses, all this physical evidence, all this circumstantial evidence, and they would deliberate for eight days before finding both Sandra Murphy and Rick Tabish guilty of first-degree murder on May 18th, 2000. And they would be sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. But if you thought that was the end, you'd be wrong. <laughs> there was there were some things that weren't done properly in the first trial, according to the Supreme Court. Um, in July of 2003, the Nevada Supreme Court overturned the murder convictions, ruling that the Clark County District Court Judge Joseph Bonaventure aired in deliberation instructions to the jury. The justices Uh-oh. found that Tabish should have received a separate trial for the assault and blackmail of another businessman. While the, prosecution, while the prosecution was never able to prove a link between this crime and the Binion's murder, the justices said testimony regarding the separate assault prejudiced, preju, uh, prejudiced the jury against Tabish. So they already yeah, that knew sense. that he was a scumbag who was capable of assault and blackmail in another incident. And they yes. went into this trial knowing that about him, which is not how the justice system is supposed to work. You're supposed right. to go into it with a clean slate uh, for the crime that they are putting you up against. Right. The justices also ruled that the jurors should not have been told to consider statements by Binion's estate attorney as statements of the attorney's mind, not fact. That is what we kept mentioning, the conversation between Ted and his attorney about taking Sandra out of the will. Right. And how that was basically just his word. There was no evidence other than, you know, the word of a guy who, as we said, is on Ted's side. And on so Ted's that payroll. Shouldn't have, that shouldn't yeah. have been held against them, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence about it because he is, at, at one, at, for one, you could look at it like he's a, a witness for the prosecution and like that's a lot of what a witness is, is just their word, you know? Right, exactly. That being said, he does work for Ted. So it's that, kind That's of the tricky. problem, that he's on Ted's payroll. You know, I think that's yeah. the biggest problem. A friend of Ted would probably be admissible, but someone who's on his payroll, nah, we can't let that go. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this taken into account, the defendants were granted a new trial, which began on October 11th, 2004, in Judge Bonaventure's courtroom. This time, Sandra Murphy, who was represented by Michael Cristalli, and Tabish, re- represented by famous civil rights lawyer J. Tony Serra, 
and local Las Vegas attorney Joseph Caramango were uh, each acquitted of murder, but were convicted on lesser charges of burglary and grand larceny connected to the Binion case. So they got off on their second trial, um, wow. and they were basically given um, charges for the robbery and all the stuff that they did after he died. Right. Um, Sander Murphy would end up being sentenced to time served and basically walked out a free woman. That's insane. Um, Rick Tabish, however, was originally sentenced wow. to serve consecutive terms and was denied parole in 2001, 2004, and 2005 before... On January 26, 2009, he was brought into Las Vegas where the Nevada Parole Board granted him parole to consecutive, meaning three convictions were to run concurrently. And he would be out uh, in January of 2010 when they announced that uh, he would be granted parole at 44 years old. So he was released on May 18th, 2010. He would, he would uh, be released officially. Wow. And so Sandra now living uh, her best life. She lives with her new love, an art dealer named Kevin Peropian, Peropin, uh, on their Monarch Beach home in Laguna Beach, California. Of she course. spends her days at an airy Laguna Beach gallery they own, surrounded by fine art. In her free time, she plays golf, goes boating, and yes, surfs. I go to work every day. I have a happy life, and I love my husband, she says. Mm -hmm. Wow. So... New lease on life, Sandra Murphy. And amid all this domestic bliss, though, Mur Murphy has not put the Binion case completely behind her. She says, I'm not going to let somebody say that I did something I didn't do. I just want to clear my good name once and for all. I just want to be vindicated 100%. I bet. I bet. What I are your know, thoughts? Uh, I th there's there's, a, there's, a, there's a an in inkling of there's just a tiny bit of me that says, you know what? He could have overdosed. And, and I think Rick Tabish and Sandy Murphy are snakes. I don't think they're, I think they're terrible people. I think they're crooks. And there's, there is a small uh, thought that he could have overdosed. And of course they would take advantage of that. And they would try to take everything he owned because they were waiting for him to die. They wanted him to die. Maybe they were helping him die by giving him strong drugs and just waiting it out. That's a possibility. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but a large, I think I'm 90% sure that they they played a role in suffocating him or forcing drugs in him, in yeah, forcing him both. to ingest drugs. Finding the heroin in his stomach is bizarre. The smushed um, nose, I think they the abrasion him. on the chest. Yeah, yeah. He, he was. I think they killed him. 100%. He, 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 he was burked when they when they yeah. brought that shit out. You know they were sweating bullets. They're like, holy yep. shit, this guy just figured out exactly what we did. <laughs> I mean, right? Because when I heard that theory, I looked into it pretty good, and I was like. This this matches up too well. It just everything matches up way too well. You talk about you don't want to just take testimony. Look at the physical evidence. Right. I mean, that's regardless of how old this tactic is, it still works. You know what I'm saying? It still works. 100%. And it would have worked. And the way that his face was found, the abrasion on the on the upper lip, the nose, and then the abrasions on the chest. And then no heroin found in the lungs. It's like, come on, he got the best best shit he's ever had, and there's none in his lungs. Come on, man. Your your breathing is already uh, more labored, and uh, your heart rate is very low when you're doing uh, when you're doing something like heroin and right. Xanax. That's its whole that's its whole objective is to relax the body, relax the heart rate. Right. And so if he's already labored and breathing because he's so high on these on these sedative drugs. And then a man sits on his chest and puts his hands over his mouth. It's not going to be very hard to you know, stop the breathing at that point. That's right. Especially if he's got his arms pinned down by, by his side as well. Yeah. You know? When someone's when someone's on top of you and they got your arms pinned down between their knees and your and your ribs, dude, you're mm -hmm. fucked. Like that's mm -hmm. not a good place to be. Yeah. 
it's not a good place to be. And even a full. Yeah, and he was man. an old, out of shape dude. And then Rick Tavish was young and and uh, in shape, yep. and it's easily he easily could have held down Ted, especially while he was high on heroin. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Now, the 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 most recent news about this case, however, came in 2019 when a 56-year-old man named Richard Clevis was arrested on warrant charges of burglary, conspiracy, and destruction of property when he went to Rick Tabish's or not uh, went to Ted Binion's property in Pahrump and started digging around trying to find the buried treasure there. So there's still people <laughs> looking for the buried silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy got busted uh, digging around and uh, ended up getting some charges thrown on him. Wow. And he actually, uh, he was actually identified as a former manager of Ted Binion's property in Pahrump. So he knew Ted, Ted Binion. So he, he would know if there was more buried silver, he would know. That's right. And so he was out there digging, looking for it when he got caught. I, I think there's definitely more out there. I don't think it's all accounted for. I think the, the whole, uh, the lore about that is a little bit too strong. I do think the Binions yeah. have some other riches out there somewhere. That maybe yeah. either even the family doesn't know about either Ted or maybe even Benny buried like shit we don't know. There's uh there's actually footage of the the new owners of Ted Binion's old home. They when they bought it they were like yeah there might be some buried treasure here we don't know. <laughs> yeah exactly. That was part of a selling point to the house you know it's like yeah a guy died in here and he may have been killed and smothered but there might be some buried silver somewhere too. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, eh, I'll might take that some gamble. spirits, might be some silver. You never know what you're going to get with Ted Binion's house. Right. I'd take that gamble. I ain't afraid of no spirits. Yeah. I ain't afraid of no ghost. <laughs> right. Fucking ghost. <laughs> you got a ghost, the ghost of Ted Binion flying around trying to get you to smoke with him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, man. Well, that's the All right, Binions. that concludes our two-part uh, series on the Binions. Good old wow. Benny. Good old Ted Binion. Wow, over three hours on the Binions, man. I, I can't believe we even fit it into three hours. I thought this was right. going to be a marathon. Um, exactly. But, damn, that's uh, interesting stuff, and um, I'm glad that we were we were able to do this in-depth two-parter on the Binions like this because there's just not as much information out there as I thought there was, uh, especially on Benny, you know? Ted kind of stole you gotta the spotlight. Get the book. You got to get the book that we brought up. Yeah, yeah. Blood Aces. Blood Aces. It's free on Audible. Yeah, if you want, yeah. if you're, if you, if you loved our telling of it, or if you, you know, you want to learn more about the Binion fan, learn more about Benny mainly. Um, that book is fantastic. But there's also books out there on Ted Binion in this whole murder investigation, his death, his suspicious death that we just covered. There's books on that as well. Right. All right. So guys, if you're if you're still not satisfied with your Binion knowledge, there's there's still more out there. Still more out there. And if you're so, not satisfied with your, you know, the smell coming from your pits. Mm-hmm. There's also Oh My Guy out there. That's right, there is. And lucky for you guys, we got you the hookup. Because Oh My Guy is an innovative, all-natural, deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Guy, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free or organic ingredients. Guys, there's definitely a scent that will work for you. From vanilla to cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, uh, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. There's pear, bergamot, amber. Uh, Barbershop is another great scent. And uh, guys, because we have worked with Oh My Gaia for so long, they made us our very own scent called True Crime Pine. True Crime Pine has our old school podcast logo on it. You can see how long we've been working with this company. We use this product ourselves, and I recommend it to any anytime it comes up in conversation. I recommend this deodorant to people. 
But because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, for 15% off your order, use the word creeper. Do it, guys. Do it. All right. All right. I want to thank, take a minute to thank those of you who have gone and rated and reviewed the show this week. Uh, I want to say thank you to Cece in San Antonio in the U.S., obviously. Uh, said New Creeper, binging from the beginning and absolutely love it. Love the banter, the accents, the stories. Can't wait to catch up on all the episodes. Five stars. Thank you. <laughs> right and we on. got Beck Alley in the U.S. said, I listen to the podcast while fixing residential electrical problems. It keeps me entertained and I learn so much. Be careful. Don't get shocked. Yeah, really. Um, I, I, man, elect- electrical goes right over my head. I hire someone like you to do that. So <laughs> thank you to those electricians out there. Yeah, be careful, guys. Yeah, and then we got uh, MC Spokane in the U.S. Uh, can't find nothing after February. Love you guys. Uh, so on our feed, at least on a lot of, like at least on Apple, mm-hmm. um, on Apple Podcasts, when you go on there, for some reason it's it's categorized into like seasons, which we don't do. And when you, the first episode you see is the Bob Bashera case, which we did fucking like a year ago. Yeah. Um, and you have to scroll down and you'll fi- find the unknown season or whatever. And that's our most recent episodes on there. So if you're confused, like uh, like uh, MC Spokane is, yeah, we have new episodes on there. You just got to scroll down a little bit more. Wow, I was reason. not aware of that. That's weird. That's really, yeah. that's probably really messing us up, huh? How do we... Yeah, possibly. I think a lot of people are listening to Bob Bashera from like, from however long ago and thinking that was our most recent episode and we haven't done any episodes in a long time when it's not true. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to figure out... I don't know how out. to fix that. We're going to have to, to figure look out what's it. going on with that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks yeah. for the, thanks for letting us know about that, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then we got Kales Wales in the U.S. said, I needed a new, a new crime podcast. Glad I found you guys. Easy to listen to um, and makes my day go by much faster. Um, so yeah, right thank on. you guys for taking the time to go do that. Even if you just go click five stars, you don't feel like writing a review. You can just throw in some fire emojis and we'll give you a shout out. You have to put something in the review section so that we can see the review and give you a shout out. But right. even if you just want to click five stars, and you don't care about a shout out that helps us. And if you just want to do that, that's cool too. Yep. Thanks guys. Yep. All right. Another great way to help the show. Patreon.com. Patreon. Patreon.com slash true crime guys. For just two bucks a month, you guys get access to our one exclusive Patreon episode a month, as well as Just the Banter, which we do on a weekly basis, and then all kinds of other uh, content we have on there. We have tons of audio files on there now from Higher Thoughts with me. Uh, I did 35 episodes on. There's tons of stuff on Patreon, guys, and it's that new content is going to be coming this year as well, the, the patron. And then now you can pledge by the year, so... You don't have to worry about that monthly that monthly hit on your credit card. You can just pay the I think it's like twenty one dollars and some cents uh, up front, yep. and that's straight up for the whole year. You guys can be a true yep. crime guys patron for twenty one dollars and get at, and never miss any TCG productions uh, stuff again. Well, unless you're talking about uh, Strange and Unexplained, but we'll get to many that. of the big hitters. Many of the that's big right. hitters that you haven't heard on our main feed are on Patreon. That's right. Um, so right. if if you're looking for a big serial killer, if we've seen if we've done it, if it's not on our main feed, you want you might want to check Patreon and two bucks a month can get you access to those. A lot of those big hitters are like three three hours plus. Oh yeah. So you guys if, if you guys have are not patrons and you've listened to some of the freeloader series, that kind of gives you an idea. But even on those mm-hmm. freeloader episodes, we're cutting out a lot of the banter, we're cutting out a lot of the Patreon oriented talk and stuff at the beginning and end. So you're kind of only getting the bulk of the story. So you're still missing out on stuff. 
um, with those episodes, but you kind of get an idea of the characters uh, that we're trying to cover yep. and the cases that we're trying to cover on Patreon. Mm-hmm. And again, that's patreon.com slash guys. We also have a $5 tier uh, where you guys would get access to just the banter every week as well as a True Crime Guys gold creep van sticker. Uh, very exclusive. Very prestigious. Very prestigious. And then at the $10 level, you guys can have a Zoom call with us and of course you get all the ex- other stuff as well. So again, guys, that's patreon.com slash guys. There's links to everything we plug below the description of this very episode as well as all the rest. So, Including Strange and Unexplained, our yes. other show under Strange. the True Crime Guys umbrella, hosted right. by Michael. Synopsis done by Lauren. That's right, Lauren's synopsis. He's breaking down the case like cardboard boxes at the end if you guys still don't get it. So, uh, yeah, but Strange and Unexplained, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you just search True Crime Guys um, in your podcast app, Strange and Unexplained should pull up there. You'll see the two, two Velociraptors on the logo. Uh, it's hard to miss. But that new episodes of Strange and Unexplained are released every Monday, guys, on the free platform. And if you join patreon.com slash S&U podcast, you can get new episodes every Thursday, as well as extra shows that I do on there like Strange Shorts and The Palate Cleanser. So a lot of stuff under True Crime Guys Productions, guys. Oh, and merch. Speaking of and- which, is it a Patreon episode next week? Is it, is it already back around? Ah, uh, ooh, I think it is. It's getting, I think it is. Yeah, boy. Yes. Here we go. Yes, another If you want to hear next week's episode, go sign up to Patreon. That's right. That's right, guys. Uh, what else? All right, y'all. Merch. Is that it? Real quick, merch. Merch. TrueCrimeGuys.Threadless.com. Check out our new merch designs. I just added a new one in like the last week. It's like a uh, mock show flyer design that I just got like a spontaneous idea to do. Um, some little interesting information about that, that the girl in the background of that poster design is actually my daughter my 13 year old daughter and that's what she dressed up for as halloween and i was just looking through some old pictures and i was like this is kind of creepy this is this is cool I, I can work with this so that's uh that's the young lady in the picture and you also see it on strange and unexplained instagram and things like that i might i might use that a little more as like a uh not, not a logo but you know as like a theme for some of our art in the future so for things like that cool so, just a little interesting tidbit on that but that's it, man. All right. <sighs> see y'all next week on Patreon. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you the following week for another Freeloader episode. That's um, right. Have a good week, y'all. See ya. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was true crime garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army We out here making murder charming Murder, 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 mur